I think about sticky marketing strategy, the thought that comes up for me is like you're living rent free in someone's mind, right? You've planted a seed. So to do that, you've got to speak directly to a problem that the person is having and how your solution is there for it. Welcome to One Next Step, the most practical business podcast in the world, helping you get more done, grow your business, and lead your team with confidence with tips and tools you didn't get in business school. Here are your hosts, Trisha Shortino and Lisa Zeveld. Welcome to One Next Step, the practical business podcast that helps you run your business so it stops running you. I'm Trisha. LZ is out today, so I'm going to be going solo on today's episode featuring our friend, Michael Taggart, who's here to chat about all things integrated marketing. Michael is the COO of Envoy Media Group, an award-winning direct response marketing company. He believes strongly in the value of integrated marketing, how both offline and online channels work together to help promote businesses and make an impact. Today, he'll talk with us about how he uses online and offline marketing channels for his clients so they better market their organizations. Take a listen. Hey, Michael, thank you so much for joining us on the One Next Step podcast today. It is an honor to have you with us. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. And a Belay client, nevertheless. I am for a long time, and our company is continuing to add more Belay assistance as we go. It's been a real halt for our growth. I love that. That is great news. That is great news. I'm glad it's working out well. Um, You're also an expert marketer, and I'm excited to kind of talk all things marketing today. But before we get there, I I heard you fly. Are you a pilot? I'm a private pilot. Yeah. I haven't flown in a while, though. And so all it does is plague every life insurance uh, application I do from here on out. Um, Yeah. When my first daughter was born, that was kind of like, I don't have the time and at the time or the money to keep doing it. And so, so I kind of put it on pause, but yeah, flew for several years and I didn't think it was that long since I've flown, but my last flight was 2007. So yeah, it's been a while. Oh, that <laughs> is a long time. Well, what, so how did you even get into flying in the first place? I, I'm um, asking because actually my husband is retired from the airlines, So he's kind of an airplane okay. guy also. I had, um, <laughs> With the first company that I founded, you know, you, you go through all the entrepreneur stuff of getting a company set up, get it scaling and, and all that profitable. And I got to a point where, I don't know, I just got this idea in my head. When I was a kid, I really always wanted to be a doctor, but for a brief stint, I wanted to be a pilot. And I always wanted to fly. And I'm one of these people that I'm, I'm always really, really curious about learning new things. I might not necessarily make it my entire life's passion, but I really want to learn it. So I said, you know what? I'm going to get my private pilot's license. and I kind of did it on a lark and a buddy of mine said, I'll do it too. And so I just signed myself up at the local airport. I did an intro flight. So this is, this will be really fun. And I wanted to experience it. And so I did that during the course of that training, I got engaged and married. So that like lengthened out Mm. my time and I spending more money (laughs) because of it. (laughs) But yeah, it was just something I always wanted to do. And so I just kind of just went out and did it and experienced it. It's something I know I'll pick up later in life. I've got three girls and three young kids keeping me on my toes. So taking the time to go to the airport, pre-flight check, get out, like go fly somewhere, come back. It it's not in the cards right now for me. Oh, sure. And if you're not flying often, then you're not really safe, right? It's one of those things that rusts. You don't want to sit a lot. So I'm hoping to get back into it. But yeah, just wanted to do it. I love it. Yeah, three young girls will put a hinder on anything. 
<laughs> yeah, it's great. Don't get me wrong. I wouldn't trade it for the world, but certain things oh, and yeah. certain time commitments are a little <laughs> bit trickier. <laughs> yeah, I totally get it. I have I have two daughters. They're now teenagers, but um, you know, the years of freedom, the giggles are well worth it with little girls. Oh, um, but yeah. It's awesome. Raising youngins <laughs> certainly does take time. Yeah. Well, I love that. That's a great story. I'd love to hear, you know, to continue on your journey, how it is you transitioned and what your journey's been like into marketing and especially where you are today um, in your organization now with Envoy Media. Sure. It's quite a long story. I first started in 99, developing and doing stuff online and some marketing. And in 2000, 2000, 2001, I founded my first company and we specialized in organic search, mm-hmm. figuring out the Google algorithm and getting traffic. Um, and that company grew to like 400,000 visitors a day, 200 national clients. It was great. But we shifted in 2005, 2006 to Envoy Media Group because the cat and mouse game of algorithms changing in search, it just, it was too volatile as a thing, even though we had some success up to that point. And so we decided that we're, what we're going to do is we're going to buy every click and we're going to do a performance-based approach where we can control who our clients are and who we decide to work with because we're going to build our own websites, pay for our own media, and then just deliver leads or sales or what have you on the other end. And so in 2005, we founded Envoy Media Group and started doing that and built, uh, I'm kind of the technical part of the co-founding team. There's four of us. Mm -hmm. My degree is in marketing. I love it. But on the tech side, we built our own platform from the ground up to profitably buy the traffic and figure out, you know, in a lead generation thing, artificial intelligence to figure out which client to match a lead up to and all sorts of fun stuff. And so fascinating started with four of us. And now I believe we're pushing over 20 uh, people at the company now not counting belay people, assistants. And some, <laughs> some I am because some belay assistants we've actually hired on full-time because belay has a certain caliber of people that's pretty hard to find. Thank you. Thank you. That's what we're trying to do, right? <laughs> we're trying to provide quality support to businesses like you. Mm-hmm. See, and we didn't even ask you to say that today. So <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate I, the unsolicited. <laughs> I, I am kind of an evangelist in a lot of ways because it solves it solves a real tough point when you're bootstrapped. If you're getting venture capital, that's one thing. But if you're bootstrapping and doing old school build a business, mm-hmm. you don't really have the luxury of having a bad hire. You know, like, And the truth is there's a lot of work that doesn't necessarily need a full-time person hired, but it's such a huge win to be able to bring on someone on a contract basis. And if it doesn't work out with them or the hours shift or whatever, you're agile that way and you're not committed, especially because we're a California corporation. And the the list is a mile long of all of the regulations around a W-2 hire. So you have to be very, very careful. Yes. So Belay solves that really important bit where you're ready to scale, you're starting to, but you can't commit to full-time bringing on a ton of people and you just need to get some more hands helping. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I say it's not just hands, like many of the Belay assistants we've hired are MBAs. I know my personal assistant, Jackie, mm-hmm. was, and... They're phenomenal at helping out in different uh, stages of growth at the company. Yeah, gosh, I, I love that. We we still, you know, our team is over 100 employees strong and we still outsource and contract work too because the the concept and, and especially in our marketing department and, and so it kind of aligns with you and your organization is what a great area of your business to contract 
new positions out, bring on expertise, and then expand and grow those relationships and those roles specifically. We've we've done it time and time again. We still do it now because we find it to be such a, a great way to find and leverage talent, even if you need it fractionally. I mean, sometimes even, uh, you know, you don't need a full-time person to run Google Ads. Uh, you know, you need somebody fractionally who's doing that for you. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, been, it's been great for us. And And to your point, I mean, Google and the analytics and the changes. So that that's a great tee into kind of my my first question when we're talking about the misconceptions or the differences between online marketing and offline marketing. I'd love for you to kind of talk a little bit about those um, misconceptions. So really, I think the biggest misconception I'll hear when you talk about the different channels of online and offline is that they're siloed from each other, like that they operate in a Mm -hmm. vacuum is kind of the way most marketers approach that or business owners uh, as you're looking at it, like what's my TV spend, my radio spend, my Google ad spend or online or Facebook, you know, Mm -hmm. there's so many different channels. And so the biggest misconception is that you treat the channels like people, but they're not. The channels reach people. Like our ultimate job is to put the right message in front of the right person at the right time, right? So if you think about it in your daily life, people, we all know we interact, we interact with like multiple channels in any given day, week, month. I mean, I've seen studies like hundreds of ad exposures a day. So when you're doing online and offline, we'll talk about those two big things. The real kicker is you need to combine them strategically because they have a compounding effect. I've got a friend who runs a different agency and they do tons of media for a lot of places. And he said something once to me that always stuck. He goes, Mike, I have this solar panel client doing a ton of stuff. And they said, you know what? The radio spend is just not quite working for us the way that they were measuring and stuff. Can we just, let's cut the radio spend and see what happens. Now, at the time, the radio spend was about 10% of their budget. The next month, sales dropped 50%. And so when you have this compounding effect, one plus one plus one is five. Like it, it, and you don't exactly know how, how or why, it just does if you align things correctly. So I'd say that's the biggest misconception is that they don't help them. Yeah, we always kind of felt that way, that there are just some some parts of marketing that um, it's really hard to tie a direct ROI to or a direct customer to that um, maybe a, a lead came in and the source may say, you know, Google. But really what happened is they first saw an ad somewhere else or they heard something on a podcast, then they went to Google or they heard a radio ad and then they went to the website and then, or then they went on social media. And so it's, it's hard to track. And so we kind of live by that motto that yep. um, we, want, we want to be in multiple places and we, we never really truly know where the first, the first time is somebody heard our brand. But I think you also can run into, you know, especially if you're truly a creative team, how do you prevent going off the rails, really? I mean, you could really spread yourself. Is there such a thing as spreading yourself too thin across channels? How narrow do you remain? Like, what is some good coaching you would give to somebody around, you know, the channel management and what's too much and what's right on? Yeah, I think that's, it's a really good point because if you start thinking about the myriad of ways that you can run ads, it's just almost infinite. Like there's just so many places. Yeah. And the truth is like, 
I, I guess my advice, it, it's a little bit different as you're scaling up spend to millions of dollars a month and that kind of thing. But the same concepts apply of how you keep everything aligned, whether or not you're just running with one person all the channels or you're, you have individual people running. So I think about it like this in kind of four stages, like top down. There's vision, then there's brand, then strategy, and then tactics. So vision, we know what vision is, right? What we're going to do. Brand is like, it really centers with who your target customer is and everything about them. And what is what is the brand voice? Is it witty, funny, it professional? How, like, what are the rules about the way you present yourself in any given channel, agnostic of channel? Mm -hmm. um, and then we kick into strategy. And this is um, David Ogilvie, who is a, a legendary marketer, coined the term a big idea. And this is what I think about in terms of strategy. A big idea it's one single thing, one single kind of benefit, if you will, and I'll unpack it a little bit, of your advertising that stays the same across all the channels. When you get to tactics, that's all right, what's our Facebook campaign structure? What's our Google structure? What, how, how are we doing the buys by zip code and radio mm -hmm. or whatever? You put that on the shelf and you say, what's, what's our one like big idea that we're going to go to market with? Because what you don't want is... Your online ads saying one thing, your radio ads saying another, your TV ads saying another, forget if they all look the same. If they're saying like they're not cohesive, mm -hmm. you lose an unbelievable amount of the power of having all those things there. Yeah. So big ideas that some famous ones are Claude Hopkins in the early 1900s did one for Schlitz beer and his whole big idea with all their marketing. And they became, I believe, the largest brewery in the country after this was that their beer was pure. Like... Brewing rooms had filtered mm -hmm. air, prevented contaminants, filtering pumps were cleaned out twice a day, beer bottles sterilized four times a day. Just hate the fact that they were pure. Now, the funny thing about it, all beer is made that way, but the consumer doesn't know that. And so Blitz right. went and got, got so huge in the market because every channel all talked about how pure their beer was. So you think about that's a big idea. David Ogilvie himself had one that I think, I think is wonderful. He Rolls Royce tapped him to say, all right, we're going to do cross-channel radio, print, TV. This is in the 60s, I believe. And he went to the Rolls Royce factory. He went through testimonials and he was trying to come up with a big idea. And he left the factory pretty depressed. So he's driving back home to the airline and all he hears is the clock ticking in, in this Rolls Royce that they drove him back to the airport. In. And then he realized he has it. And his big idea was at 60 miles an hour, the loudest noise you're going to hear in the new Rolls Royce comes from the electric clock, right? Mm. And so then all their print, radio, and TV talked about how peaceful and quiet. You can talk about luxury lots of different ways, right? But if you hone in on the one thing and then go to market all of those things, that's where you get the biggest power. Mm. I love that. That's powerful. That story actually gave me goosebumps on my arm, actually, <laughs> truly, you know, just how profound, like finding that one simple thing can be and what it is for you and, and, and putting it everywhere. I, I, yeah, that, I love and that. Marketers have a temptation to do this, but business owners too, particularly if you're a small business owner, a florist in a local area, a window repair place, it's your baby, right? So you want to say everything you want to say, like, I do this, 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 but all you're doing is you're, you're confusing people you're giving them bowling balls to hold, right? You only want to give them one, just one thing, like less is more. And if you're going to commit money across these channels, you have to focus in one single place. And it's hard to just magically come up with what that big idea is. 
you talked about Google ads and paid search. I always recommend like if you're going to go into a market selling something and you're not quite sure exactly what's going to resonate, go with paid search, Google Bing. And those searchers, it's almost cheating in marketing. Certain keywords, they're what we call bottom of funnel or solution aware. Mm -hmm. They're like, I want Nike red Air Jordans and I have credit card in hand. All right. Buy that keyword and you can't right. convert that person. You have no business going to other places <laughs> to convert that person, right? <laughs> um, oh, that's a wise little tidbit right there. Yeah. That's so a I, wise little tidbit. With business these days, I always like to start marketing and paid search and hone your stuff there. And then you can kind of go up to fa the Facebooks and the YouTube. What is resonating? Mm -hmm. What is hitting? Yep. What are people aligning themselves yeah. to? I love that. Yeah, I, you know, I also love that very unique and different about what you do is how you integrate technology, how you have made technology such a huge leverage point for how you deliver and experience marketing. I would love if you would talk a little bit about technology as part of marketing and best tips on leveraging without maybe hitting up against overwhelm or being intimidated by, God, there's so many platforms and so many things out there these days. Yep. Yep. There's a lot and it's only going to grow. It's only growing. I have yeah. the interesting perspective of we don't use many off the shelf technology things out there. We built our own from the ground up to kind of do all this marketing, show us what we want. I don't recommend people doing that though, unless you have a savant team of programmers or one yourself. Like that's it's right, right, right. Work. Or they can work with you or they can come to you. Yeah. But the <laughs> thought really is no matter what you're using in your tech stack, the whole point of technology and marketing, the biggest, biggest value is insight. Connecting the dots across channels, across sites, across folders, whatever you're looking at, across SMS campaigns or whatever. Because many of the tools you'll use, you'll use MailChimp for email and you'll use uh, Twilio for SMS and you'll use this and that, whatever, and Google Analytics for your WordPress site. And none of those things talk to each other, right? All the, They all have steps in their own place. Yeah. But your focus should be to find a piece of technology that goes out and pulls from all those places and brings all of that data into one place as much as you can, right? Integrate. Yes. Integrate it all. Always connecting the dots and integrating mm -hmm. it. And the whole point, like, yes, you can have tech optimized automatically, but in reality, the data insights to humans and then, and algorithms, we will like wag the dog with Google by using our, our platform to look at lifetime value, not just how much that purchase was, and then tell Google is worth more than it really was to get more of those, right? Like you can do that stuff, right? but you have to be able to look at the data in one place to get the insights. So there are several things out there that are trying to be that one all, one size fits all. We built our own, so I'm unique in that thing, mm -hmm. but companies like Wicked Reports comes to mind. There's plenty out there that you could take a look at, but really as a marketer or a business owner, mm -hmm get all of your data in one place as much as you can. And it's a constant battle, but get it in one place so you can look at it in one shot. Awesome tip. Okay, so let's talk about sticky marketing strategy. Okay. <laughs> what is a Sticky, this idea of having a sticky marketing strategy. I think about sticky marketing strategy. The thought that comes up for me is like you're living rent free in someone's mind, right? You've, you've planted a seed 
Like, let's go back to our big idea. You planted like your one thing you do. Oh, the Rolls Royce is quieter than any other car out there. It's just there. It's planted. And as people go about their lives, it recalls it. Right. And that can come down to the way you did your ad creative, your messaging, or just the words, like what your main point is. Mm. So you want your marketing to be sticky such that when you run ads, even if they don't click, they are more likely to search for you later or they're like able to remember or recall that ad. So to do that, you've got to speak Mm. directly to a problem that the person or the business, really the business is made of people, but speak to one problem that person is having and how your solution is there for it. So stick to one big big idea, run there, and that's your best bet across all the channels of kind of living rent-free in someone's mind. The Coca-Colas of the world are the best at this. And I used to think of branding as like a dirty word. No, I want to run a click, pay for it, get a conversion, right? Like simple. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And branding is for people that don't sell. But what they discount when you do that is you're looking at everything in one isolated channel and you're, you're not zooming back. Look at your entirety of your revenue brought in that month. Like look at the entirety, but it's the only way you can really gauge it. And if you have sticky marketing, you're getting more return visitors, more visitors through organic and type in traffic, that kind of thing. And if you turn off your marketing, you get less. That's how you know. Yeah. I, I think, you know, a a lot of, you know, I think it's easy for the small business to say, well, I'm going to spend my effort where I can see the value immediately, right? I'm I'm putting on a a paid Google ad, I got the lead form, and I've generated a sale. You can easily see it's like the quick win scenario where maybe branding goes kind of to the, the, you know, when we have time or if we have money, at some point, maybe we'll do some branding because that's fluffy. It's not, right, there's not a direct ROI, but I think they're missing the fact that that there absolutely is ROI. You just not might not be able to connect the dots so immediately. I know that's, you know, where we've been over the years is where we've gone back and forth on, you know, where branding is valuable and whatnot. And we it's easy to revert to lead generating activities versus branding activities. Yeah, and you want it to kind of like infuse throughout everything you do. So like I was telling you before, paid search with Google ads is where you should start. And guess what? It's on easy mode. You get the one click, one sale. You can track it. It's Mm -hmm. fairly easy, but you'll start noticing problems as you move up the stack of Google. You go from red Nike shoes with credit card in hand to just red shoes to just shoes. Mm -hmm. Even those keywords, you're going to have to rely on kind of that big idea push more because you don't really know what they want. So starting with paid search is there, but if all you do is that bottom of funnel paid search, you can do that, generate revenue and make money, but you're very, very limited. It's a tip of the iceberg where the bulk of it is underneath the water, right? Yeah. Sure, get the tip, like don't, like start there, make sure you can do that. But the real value is if you can live rent-free in a market's mind and they come back looking for you because of what you've exposed them to. Yeah, I love that. I love that. You know, so we talked a little bit at the top of this conversation about, you know, you you talked a little bit about your team growing and how you've been leveraging um, Belay virtual assistants and so on and so forth to help subsidize um, some great work. But generally speaking, outside of your work with Belay, what are your thoughts on marketing, leveraging, outsourcing, to fill maybe fractional key roles and, and the theories that go behind using that as a way to scale. Yeah, I'm a big fan of kind of the, the contract first 
mindset, contract out, and then you'll kind of get your lay of the land better. At Envoy, operationally, we instituted like an operating system at the company called Holacracy. And whether you like it or not is beside the point. The one thing it does really, really well is you clarify the roles the company needs, not who has them. Mm -hmm. Put that to the side. What are the accountabilities that that role is if you're a Facebook marketer or Google Ads mm -hmm. marketer? What are those things? And we'll deal with who fills it later. So it's helped us notice spots where even we're a marketing agency and there's times, hey, we don't have anyone here with a depth in Instagram or with a depth in Snapchat, mm -hmm. let's say, or whatever. And we really want to push in it. Well, we'll look to things like belay if possible, marketer, hire, advisable, mm -hmm. um, all of these places out there that actually help contract experts, people that have done that exact mm -hmm. channel, that can be a guide for you. And then what we like to do is buddy up an internal person with that guide. So the internal person has the role, they're accountable to it, but they've got a mentor and a guide that gives them strategy that soundboards and kind of gets it going. And it's a huge thing, especially if you're not a marketing company or you're too small to mm -hmm. afford it. Fractionally, you could afford, you know, four hours of an expert's time a week or a month could make all the difference. Marketing is a game of quality, not quantity, right? It's one ad could change the trajectory of your entire company. And it's just one ad. It's not about the amount of hours it took. We're not building assembly lines, widgets, you know? Yeah. So it's a big thing to find expertise wherever you can find it. And a lot of really great people don't want to work full-time with one company. They just love marketing so much. They just want to help so many people and it serve broaden their horizons. Yeah. So I hope that answers your question. Yes, I think I think it's good for people to know, right? You don't have to be at the place where you have to bring on somebody full-time. There's so many fractional oh, yeah. opportunities out there and so many ways to get your hands onto talent for very part on a very part-time basis that you don't have to save up and wait until you can afford to hire somebody that you can actually leverage talent. Yeah. Like you said, four hours a week, five hours a week, especially in the marketing yep. areas of your business and social media and, and all that stuff. And you, you, they are well worth the dollar you spend getting that right versus having somebody unexperienced try right. to get it right. And you can also push all this out to an agency right? An agency that does it full service. Mm -hmm. The question you have to ask in your mind is, do I ever want to develop these skills in-house, right? Do I ever want to be able to do this in-house? Well, we're a marketing agency. So the answer is yes, pretty obvious. But you know what? If you're like a florist or you're, you're a contractor in a particular area, you probably don't want to develop all that in-house, nor should you. Just be good at the one thing you do and hand it off to someone or an agency that has the team to be able to put this stuff out. So I always have to remember that because I come at it from a mindset of yeah. we're a marketing agency. Everyone's doing that. No, for a lot of people, it makes a ton of sense to farm it out to an agency. Yeah, because you don't need to be, to your point, you don't have to be an expert in marketing. You just have to be an expert in flowers and customer service yep. and get you know serving your community. And I think a lot of leaders and entrepreneurs maybe miss that fact that they have to become experts in all areas of their business and they have to know how to do and be an expert in the sales and the marketing and the operations <laughs> and the delivery and the and the service when really not at all. I mean, everything is a team approach. So to find great talent, put great teams together, whether it's outsourced in-house and you win. Yeah. And Trisha, like, honestly, if you're in the dentist chair, the last thing I want to hear from my dentist is him talking about what conversion action on Google he should be using. <laughs> I just want him to do totally. teeth well. 
right? Like he should not yeah. any amount of time doing any of that. So yeah, so you have to kind of know. Absolutely. Got to know your, you know, your business and who you are. And the truth is the entrepreneur thing is being chief bottle washer, right? You have to do everything. So you think you're good at everything. Yeah. In reality, you're not. <laughs> yeah. The quicker you can come to that conclusion, the better. The, the faster your company will grow. <laughs> Absolutely. I love that. So if you could give one last practical tip for anybody listening right now, a step they could take to move more towards an integrated marketing approach, what would you tell them? In terms of kind of that framework I gave, vision, brand, strategy, and tactics, like vision and brand, I'll just assume are there. The place where I see people make the biggest mistake and we make it too sometimes is we jump straight to tactics. So hit that strategy level hard. Mm -hmm. Obsess about figuring out your one big idea and you're all of your from print, radio, TV, online, everything is going to drive home that one point. And that one point is different for each company. So you really have to obsess over existing customer data, reviews, testimonials. I recommend mm -hmm. become a customer service rep, get trained, man the phones, whatever you mm -hmm. have to do. Talk to real people, listen to real people. Out of that data is what your big idea should be. People will talk mm -hmm. if you talk to them about what's their actual solution. And like so many times, we're inside the bottle, it's hard to read the label, right? So you have to obsess about the customer and come up with one big idea you're gonna run across all of your channels and go that up. I love it. That is a perfect practical tip for all of us. Go find your one big idea, leverage your data and your customer base to get it. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been a great conversation, Michael. I really do appreciate you spending time with me today. Thank you, Trisha. It's been a pleasure to be here. Hey guys, was that not an awesome interview with Michael? Uh, what an honor to have, first of all, a Belay client with us, but someone who really has leveraged a Belay client to outsource and then had some really great tips on all things marketing, fractional marketing. And I love what he had to say about branding and the cohesion across your channels. I mean, if that, if that isn't a good nugget to take away, I don't know what is. So hope you enjoyed the episode, guys. To get today's show notes with links to resources, text the phrase One Next Step to 31996 or visit onenextsteppodcast.com to keep moving forward. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next week for another great episode of The One Next Step. Start by making today count. Check out next week's episode where we'll have Jeff Schindebarger, the CEO of Plywood People. He will share practical ways leaders can learn how to make the best decisions even when it's difficult to decide. Here's a sneak peek into our conversation with Jeff. Ultimately, if you look back at your year, there's probably like somewhere between eight to 12 decisions you made in that year that determine the success of your business in that year. It happens every time. And I started thinking about that. I was like, wow, when you start looking backwards, you're like, these few decisions I made determined whether we hit our budget, whether we exceeded our budget, whether we won or we thought it was a rough year. Thanks for listening to One Next Step. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. Then join us next time for more practical business tips and tools to help you get more done, grow your business, and lead your team with confidence. For more episodes, show notes, and helpful resources, visit onenextsteppodcast.com.